Were you enjoying Christmas Eve? We are glad that you're here, as we've already told you. And wow, Christmas is such a wonderful time of the year. I know just the other day, Pam and I, we were driving around the neighborhoods in Fremont and Clyde, checking out all the lights. Any of you do that? You know, we, not, not very many, apparently. How many of you have lights up at your house? All right. Or how many of you have lights inside your house, like on your Christmas tree? Yeah. You know, light has always been part of the celebration at Christmas. As a matter of fact, uh, way back hundreds of years ago, when people started using trees at Christmas, they would actually melt wax into the branches to make candles and then light those candles in the branches of the tree inside their house, and then they would just go to bed. No, they didn't do that, but you know that, that's what they did. They lit their trees. How many would be comfortable doing that with candles today? Yeah, I don't think so, unless they were battery-operated. So light has always been part of the Christmas celebration. And, and there's a reason for that. And it's because early Christians recognized that as they were celebrating Jesus come, coming into the world, they realized that he was light coming in to a dark world. They understood that apart from Christ, we live in darkness and he came as the light of the world. We've actually been talking a little bit about this the last couple of weeks. Uh, two weeks ago, we were talking about how God created a perfect world where there was no sin. Nobody did wrong. There was no strife, no jealousy, no pride, no selfishness, no disasters. The world was perfect and God also created man and woman. And when he did that, he created them with the special ability that none of the animals had to love God back. Because God wanted a relationship with all of us. God wanted a relationship with people. The problem with that is... Because God wanted us to love him back, love is a choice. Love has to be voluntary. Love can't be forced. And so God created a way within the garden for people to choose to follow him. He had one rule, one tree not to eat from. But what happened was humanity, as represented in Adam and Eve, chose to rebel against God and call their own shots about what's right and wrong for them. And that brought darkness into our world. And actually, we've been doing this ever since. And because of that, darkness has come in the world. Our world is broken. The earth is broken. There's disasters, problems there's heartache, loss, suffering. Some of that we've seen locally on, on the news here recently with the storm that came in. You know, and, and we realize the world is dark. And then we come to the realization that the darkness is not just out there. But the darkness is also inside of us. And it's not just the earth that's broken our relationship with God 
is broken because of our wrong choices. And and why? Because God is righteous and holy. God is a perfectly just judge who must, by his very character, be just how we would want him to be, who must punish evil and wrong, what the Bible calls sin. Which is a problem for all of us because it means that we all deserve to be separated from God forever. And we deserve his punishment because it's the right thing. So we live in darkness, but God reaches into the darkness to communicate light to us. God reaches through the darkness to communicate to you. And to me. I, I don't know about you guys. Can I talk to the men here just for a minute? But sometimes my wife and I have kind of weird conversations. Has that ever happened to you? No, it's just Pam and I. Okay, well, I remember once going to bed. And sometimes, you know, in bed with Pam after the lights go out. First of all, there's just a small window for me. I'm the kind of guy that if, if, if it's quiet and there's no talking or there's no movement, I'm out in about 90 seconds. I'm like, gone. And, uh, but she hit that window and we started talking and we were just having a lighthearted conversation. But then in that lighthearted conversation, she said something that could almost be interpreted as if my love for her was not deep, as deep as it should be. Could you imagine? And so then I said, in response, I said, I would die for you. And then she thought about that for a moment and she said, yeah, but you wouldn't be happy about it. <laughs> and so then I said, well, it's nice to know that when I, while I'm dying for you, that you'll be trying to judge just how happy I am about that. And I'm trying to envision, well, how, what ways would I be dying? You know, how that is going, going to affect me. And I, so then I said, and I don't know, Again, it's a lighthearted conversation, but sometimes for us guys, there's no way out of this. And so then I finally wrapped it up by saying, you know what? You're right. That's probably something I should work on. While I'm dying for you, I should work on my joy factor <laughs> to make sure I got that right. Sometimes we have conversations, they really make no sense. But God is communicating something to us in John chapter 1 and all through his word that makes perfect sense. And that's what I want us to talk about today. He says basically that we need to recognize that light has come into the world and when we do, we have a choice. One way or the other. And so... Recognize that light has come in the world. We're in John chapter 1. And before we dive in, there are, I'll just remind you, there are four written accounts of the life of Jesus that were written in the first century. We know all four of these accounts. We call them the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We know they were all written in the first century because archaeologically we find copies distributed all over within 50 years of the date of the original writing. So we know that, that it, those are genuine first century writings from the authors as who the authors say they are. And so of those four accounts, what, what's really interesting is that John doesn't describe the birth narrative like 
Matthew and Luke do. It, it's a little different. And what, what is interesting about John not really talking about the actual birth of Jesus, sort of how it played out there in Bethlehem, is if you'll remember what happened to John at the crucifixion of Jesus, John, who is probably the youngest disciple and one of the closest disciples to Jesus, while Jesus was being tortured to death on the cross, before he died, while he was hanging on the cross, he said to John and to Mary, who apparently were standing near one another, behold your son, you know, behold your mother kind of a deal. He basically gave John the responsibility of taking care of his mom. Which meant that probably Mary was a part of John's household. What's significant about that is over the next couple of decades, we don't know how long Mary lived, but she was young when she had Jesus. And so the rest of her life, being with John, as people met Mary, probably the number one thing that they would ask Mary about would be, tell us about the birth of your son, Jesus, right? That would make sense. And so John, more than all the other disciples and more than the other three gospel writers, he would have heard more about the physical birth of Jesus probably than anyone else. But that's not how he starts his book. I mean, Mark, he goes back to the prophet Isaiah to introduce us to Jesus. Matthew, he goes back further. He goes back to Abraham and, and lists out the lineage to introduce us to Jesus. Luke goes back even further. He goes back to Adam to trace that line down for us and introduce us to Jesus. But John goes further back than that. John actually goes back before time. To introduce us to Jesus. John 1.1. 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. Right out of the gate, John is telling us. John, by the way, is the last surviving disciple. He's writing as an old man from the island of Patmos. And he's telling us right out of the gate exactly who Jesus is. And when he says this, he starts out in the beginning. That reminds everybody that knows the Bible, especially as Jewish readers, of Genesis 1. I mean, he is going right back to the beginning of time. And if we're a little bit confused on who the word is, 13 verses later, he tells it. He says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father. He's talking about Jesus. But it is curious reading in, in verse 1 because he's saying the word in the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. How can you be with God and be God? And the only way you can explain that is the concept of the Trinity. That's taught for us in Scripture. Sometimes you have a cultist on your door and they may at, at your door you know, and telling you, and you may get in a conversation, they may say, the word Trinity is never in the Bible. And, and that's right, the word Trinity is never in the Bible. The concept of the Trinity is in Genesis all the way through Revelation in the New Testament. It's all over the Bible. And some, well, one God, 
in three persons. That's the concept of the Trinity. How can one God eternally exist in three persons? Wow, that's, some people say, that, that's really hard to understand. Right. Exactly. We're finite people trying to understand infinite God. We should have difficulty wrapping our minds around that. It should be really impossible for us to totally comprehend God. And so Jesus is described as the word, and, and that word in the Greek language is a way of talking about God, the power and reason of the universe. Kind of like the force in Star Wars, you know, kind of a concept, although not dualistic. And then he's telling us that then God entered time and space. The God of the universe entered time and space for us. The God who knew no boundaries took on the shocking confines of a baby's skin. And even more profoundly, took on the restraints of mortality. God did that for us. And why? To show us the darkness that we're in and to lead us out of it. Without the light of Jesus, we're hopeless. Without the light of Jesus, all of us, you know, we're tempted and, and we feel this sense of false security. It's sort of a relative, comparative righteousness. We feel good about ourselves by looking at other people who have done worse things than us and say, well, I'm not that bad. I'm, like, I'm not like him, so I must be a good person. But Jesus brought light to correct that kind of thinking in us. Verse 2 in John 1 continues. He says, he is talking about Jesus, the word. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. What Scripture is telling us here and other places is Jesus is the one who created Jesus created us. We're not here by accident. It didn't just happen in some random way. There wasn't some chemical explosion that we can't reproduce or show in any scientific way that somehow created the universe. As a matter of fact, we know the universe is expanding. If we go backwards, we know it had a starting point. And then he's talking about life. We can't create life. I'm always saying we can't. Our best scientists in the world together can't create one seed. We can't create life. We can rearrange things. We can't create life. God did that. Know that. You have been created. He made you. God, Jesus specifically, made you. Jesus knows you. Jesus loves you. That's what scripture tells us. And he brought the true light that shows us exactly who we are. Now in verse 6 through 8, it's a little confusing because the writer, John, the disciple, shifts gears 
and he actually starts talking about another John, and that's John the Baptist, a different guy. John the Baptist was a guy who was born about the time that Jesus was. He's a few months older than Jesus, and John the Baptist was like the last prophet, and he came preaching repentance and pointing to Jesus to say, this is the Messiah. We read that in verses 6 through 8. There came a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, talking about John, but came to testify about the light, talking about Jesus. And light, we see, that is a metaphor for Christ. Light in the darkness, it overcomes darkness, it reveals reality. But the problem for us a lot of times is light can be offensive to people. When I was in graduate school, um, I was working full-time through college, going, you know, in graduate school, and, uh, you know, had a job, kind of juggling all that. Actually, that's about the time that I met Pam. And so when you meet somebody, sometimes you wonder how they see you. So I was trying to measure myself. How would I stack up, like, socioeconomically, financially? And, and what I realized is I was living in a trailer that I was sharing with another guy that should have been condemned, but it wasn't condemned, and we were very thankful for that because I could just pay 75 bucks a month, and I could live there. And so we lived there, and this guy, my roommate, was from Haiti. By the way, if you're ever living in a trailer that should be condemned with a guy from a third-world country and you're barely making that's probably not real good on the old scale of how you're doing financially, right? And one of the things about that place is we had mice. Mice were all over. We, we would hear them in the walls. We worked different shifts, so we weren't together that much, but we'd hear them in the ceilings, hear them in the walls. So we decided we were on this you know, campaign to kill the mice. We put out poison, and we killed all the mice. And we were like, whoo. Well, first, he actually got a cat, but then the cat slept behind the wheels of my Datsun pickup, and so that didn't last very long. So then we went with the poison. But anyway, we killed all the mice, and everything was good for a couple weeks, and then two weeks later... We were overrun with roaches. And then I, I realized what was good about mice was they kept roaches. So we were overrun with roaches. I mean, you would open a cabinet door, roaches would scatter. You would pull out a pan, roaches would scatter. You would flip a light onto a room, roaches would scatter. Light's offensive to roaches. I mean, they'd just take off. You would open the silverware drawer. Roaches would just scatter. They were everywhere. I would go into more detail. Actually, I did on Thursday, but I think I grossed some people out, so I'm not going to do that. I'll just say, hey, roaches, it was bad. Roaches were ever had a hard time getting rid of them. And some creatures are offended by light. Creatures like you and me are offended by light as well. And what I mean by that is, sooner or later, Jesus will offend you. And if he hasn't offended you yet, if, if there's nothing that Jesus says that you're going, ouch, then you probably haven't read enough about what Jesus said. I mean, it's all right here in the Bible. Jesus offended the Pharisees by saying, I and the Father are one. He said he was God. It was offensive to them. 
And Jesus offends people today by saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. Jesus is saying, he said, I'm the only way. And today, that's offensive to a whole bunch of people. But that's what he said. That's who he is. Besides that, there's all Jesus' teaching on morality. People don't like that. People want to live however they want to live. It's been that way from the beginning. But the light of Jesus shows us that we have all, all of us, have done wrong. The next verse is verse 9. It says, There was the true light which coming into the world enlightens every man. And this is enlightens every man in the generic, meaning every human being. You see, we've all, we're all exposed by the light. And we're all exposed for who we are and that we're separated from a righteous and holy God. We're all exposed by the wrong that we've done. And, and light also shows us that our wrongs are not okay, that they should be punished. It's not all right. And we're separated from God. One thing I learned about light while I was working, um, while I was in grad school, was in law enforcement, they teach you that you, it takes time for you to adjust to the light. So we would do training where a bad guy runs into a dark building or, and you have to search it. Well, if you're running in right behind that person, there, there's, a, there's a funnel of death right there, but if you get in, you're, you're okay as far as light. But if he's already been in there, and notice I'm saying he, probably a woman. No, not really. He's probably a guy. We always say he. You know, When, he was, when he's in there, if he's been in there like 30 minutes and now you're going in, he can see way better than you can see. And he can see way better for the next 20 minutes than you can see. And so you learn, hey, it takes time. We, we, back then, you know, we, in our training, we called it night purple, night vision, night purple. It takes a while for your eyes to adjust. And then the other way, when the lights come on, it doesn't take 20 minutes. It takes about five minutes to, to adjust to that. And see what happens when we start recognizing who Jesus is, that he is indeed the light of the world. It takes a little getting used to because Jesus is telling us what's right and wrong and we might not always agree with that. And so that takes a little bit of adjustment on our part. But if we recognize him for who he really is, we want to follow him. We begin adjusting to the light. And the problem, of course, with all of us is when it comes to eternity, we're saying, yeah, I'm in with Jesus. But when it comes to living our lives a certain way, living, trying to follow Jesus on what he has to say about morality, that, you know, yeah, I'm following Jesus for eternity, but for my day-to-day -day life, I'm calling the shots here. But Jesus says, follow me. As a matter of fact, later in the book of John, in chapter 8, 12, it says, Then Jesus again spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in the darkness, 
but will have the light of life. And so what he's telling us there is that we need to recognize the light, but then we have a choice to make, a one or the other choice. We can reject the light. God has given us that freedom. He won't force us into a relationship. We can reject the light. So when Jesus came into the world, it's going to tell us in the next verse that the world didn't know him, John 1.10. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. Even though the world was created by Jesus, and, and all of us were, people didn't recognize him Even though there are all these prophecies, even though there are always signs, we didn't recognize them because we live in the darkness. And then not only that, did the world reject him, his own did not receive him. He's talking about the Jewish people and even the leaders of the Jewish people, even religious leaders. He was rejected by a people specifically chosen to be his very own, the Jewish people. Verse 11, next verse. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. You see, for hundreds of years, they were saying the Messiah would come. It's a promise that went all the way back to creation, and then through Abraham, and through Judah, through David. This, This line... And the Messiah was coming. For hundreds of years, they kept talking about describing how the Messiah would come... Daniel even told us how to count down the years to know exactly when he would show up as king. And his own people, for the most part, missed it. Most. And then there were the religious leaders, the Pharisees, and called Pharisees because they were the separated ones. I mean, they were the ones who memorized parts of the Old Testament, the the law, the first five books. They would know that, and they were trained in it. And their highest priority was to live without violating anything in the law. And they came up with a system on how to do that. But by the time Jesus showed up, they were so much into their system, they had so much fallen in love with the way they were looking at God and how to please God, and they had a system going on that they failed to recognize Jesus. They chose their system over Jesus. And that happens all the time today. People have religious systems, and this is their way to be okay with God. And that can never earn heaven for us, ever. And non-religious people you know, they have their own ideas about, well, I think God's this way, and he's loving, and he's going to be okay with me, and, and yeah, I'm not perfect, but I'm a pretty good guy. And, and the Bible's telling it that is totally wrong that we all stand condemned in judgment without Christ. And not the, just the Christ of our mind that we make up, the Christ of the Bible, the historical Jesus John 3.19 says, This is the judgment that light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than the light for their deeds were evil. And that's the basic sin all through the book of John is rejecting the Son of God, rejecting the light, failure to recognize and believe in Jesus. But there's another choice and that is that we can Receive the light. And that can be hard 
today, and here's why. Because we as human beings, we tend to make religion complicated. All over the world, all through the centuries, we've made religion into systems that somehow elevate us and make us right with God. If we follow all these things, if we do the right things, if we do what our religion says, if we do what we're supposed to do, we keep being closer and closer to God and we earn God's favor as we do that. And the problem with all those systems is you never really know when you've crossed the line. You never know if you have gotten higher than the line that God requires. And Christianity is totally the opposite of that. True biblical Christianity is the opposite of a religious system. Because connecting with God is as simple as receiving Jesus as the Son of God and believing that he died for your sins and putting your trust in him. The next verse, verse 12, is the theme of the entire book. And notice the strong contrast between people who reject and people who receive the light. Verse 12, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God, even to those who believe in his name. Who are children of God? Well, in our culture, people say everybody. And and in a sense that God created, we can say that. But The New Testament is telling me, no, true children of God have a relationship with God and they're only the ones who have received Jesus, put their belief in him. Everyone's not the children of God. But if we receive him, he's given us the right, the right, a privilege made available to all of us that put our belief in. In Jesus. And notice how I'm wording that. Because there's a difference between believing that Jesus existed. I mean, every historian knows Jesus existed. He's the most impactful person who ever existed in history. His marks are everywhere around us. Everyone knows he existed. It can't just be that. And you can even believe that Jesus not only existed, but that he was the the Son of God. Scripture tells us that also is not enough to be a believer. That's not receiving him. That's just believing facts that are true. Believing in Jesus is something more than that. Believing in Jesus is not only recognizing who he is, but putting your trust in him, the full weight of your trust, without a plan B, all your trust for salvation in him. You're you're all sitting here in chairs that I was here when we picked these chairs out. We had a chair company come in and put in the chairs. You like the chairs? And you guys are hard to please, because these are nice chairs. I mean, we met with the seat company. The seat company kind of put a curve in there. Like, I know things about the chairs that you probably don't know, even though you sit in more than I do. For example, I know that of these seats, there are three or four different widths. Did you know that? 
So if you're sitting one time and it's a little tighter than the last time you came, that's not your weight fluctuating, actually. That's actually a different seat. And do you know why they did that? They did that so when somebody stands in the center of our platform, it's sort of made out to where you should be looking not directly past the center of a seat where somebody's head would be, but sort of between their shoulders. Did you know that? I knew that. I also know that there's no row I. Did you know that? That's, I guess, true in a lot of places, but theaters and such. But anyway, it was, but me knowing these things about the seats... That's not me believing in the seats. You guys, even though you didn't know all that, you're believing in the seats, right? You're trusting that they will hold you. I'm not doing that. I'm standing up here. That's the difference between believing that these things are true, not enough. But once you understand that, Believing in, putting your trust, all your weight, all your trust in Jesus alone, that's believing in. Verse 13 continues, talking about who were born not of blood, these people who received him, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Belief or spiritual birth is not a result of our initiative. It's actually God initiating and reaching out to us, but we've got to respond. And some of you need to step into that light, Jesus' light, today. And you can do that. No matter what you've experienced, no matter what darkness in your past no matter what darkness that you may be experiencing in your life right now, loss or pain or suffering or betrayal or loneliness, whatever darkness you're in, Jesus is offering you light. The next verse in verse 14 says, And the word became flesh, I read this earlier, and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory Glory as of the only begotten from the Father. But here's the phrase I left off to finish the verse. Full of grace and truth. And I left that off because I wanted to talk about it here. It's interesting to me that Jesus is described as one who's full of grace and truth. Because maybe you've noticed, like I have when we rub shoulders with people, sometimes you'll run into people that are full of grace. I mean, they're always complimentary, they're always encouraging, they're always very kind people. Do you know what I'm talking about? Some people are just kind of like that naturally, and when you have relationships with them, they're really uplifting and encouraging. But they're usually not the truth tellers, right? If there's some hard truth that needs to be communicated, they're not the ones, am I right? On the other hand, sometimes we run into people who are truth tellers, and they're just brutally honest. Do you ever have somebody like that in your life? I mean, they will tell you any hard thing that they think you need to hear. They just let it rip. They just mow you down, and you're just going, wow, I'm terrible. Wow. But those guys, nobody's describing those people as graceful, you know, full of grace, right? Jesus is described as both, full of grace and truth. Truth, he's willing to confront us 
honestly, even with the bad news that we don't want to hear, that my sin and your sin deserves eternal separation from God, that's the right and just punishment for our sin. We don't like that, but he tells us anyway. But he's also full of grace, where he offers mercy, forgiveness, love. He reaches out to reestablish a connection with us. You know, most people, when, when they read the words of Jesus, they, they like the grace, but they hate the truth. But Jesus is both. Remember this. He who is pronouncing judgment on us is willing to take that judgment on himself for us. That's grace and truth. And so he does that if we believe in Jesus. So here's what I want to do as we wrap up today. I would like everyone to bow their heads because I'm going to ask some questions. And some of you are kind of new here, and so I don't want you to be thinking about what other people are thinking if they see you respond in a certain way. And this is going to be a thing where I ask you a question and you raise your hand if it's true. So some of you, you came in here today and you know for certainty that you have nothing to contribute to your salvation, that it's all grace, that you indeed, you, you believe the truth, you admit your sin before God and that you deserve punishment from him. You get that. But you also, you've received his grace, meaning that you've put your belief in in Jesus, you're trusting in him. There's no plan B, there's no second guessing, there's no contributing to your own salvation. It's all mercy, it's all grace, it's all Jesus. You've already done that. You came in here, you have that nailed down. If that's true of you with our heads bowed, I would like you to raise your hand. If you know for certain. Thank you, you can put your hands down. Some of you came in you're not sure. You don't know for sure that you're trusting only in Jesus. You might believe, you, you believe that he existed. You believe who he is. But you've sort of been doing life your own way or you've developed some system where you think you're okay with God and you're sort of leaning on that, that that's going to make you okay with God. And Jesus is telling us it, it's not. And so today, you're ready to put your belief in Jesus, put your trust in him. Just everything's in Jesus because you have nothing to offer. Believe in him like that. If you're ready to do that today, and by the way, I'm not gonna embarrass you or ask you to move or do anything or, or do anything that anybody can see. I'm not gonna, just trust me on that. I'm not gonna embarrass you. But if that's you today, you're ready to put your belief in Jesus alone for your salvation. I'd like you just to, to raise your hand. Just raise your hand. I'm looking around. Nobody else is. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. 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 Just give me a chance to see you. Put your hand back down. Just put it up there, over there, and right back down. Thank you. If you're ready... Put your trust in Jesus right now. You can do it right now. And you can tell him that you're doing that. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. You can pray silently. God knows everything you're thinking. I don't want to embarrass you in any way. 
Just make this prayer your prayer, something like this, just so it's sincere from your heart to God. Father God, I I admit, I I know that I've, I've sinned against you and I'm coming to understand more completely how much you love me, that you love me in a costly way with sacrifice, that Jesus would come and die to pay the punishment for my sin. And I'm putting my trust in Jesus and Jesus alone for my salvation. That's all I got, just Jesus. And I thank you that you would come and die for me. Thanks for loving me. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.